Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast World Cup Daily. Day 9 of World Cup 2018 is in the books. Brian Strauss and I will be talking about that today as part of our podcast coming to you daily from Russia through July 16th. Just a small request, it would be a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It helps people find us. In this episode, I'm also joined by Vaishali Bardwaj of London's Evening Standard to talk about a young England team and its winning start to the tournament. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss now from Nizhny Novgorod. I'm here in Moscow. Uh, you're there ahead of England-Panama coming up there. How are you doing, Brian? Uh, yeah, um, England-Panama in a couple days. I uh, took a walk. Uh, this evening, I was hoping to be surrounded by um, phalanxes of uh, of angry, sunburned Brits, um, <laughs> but there, there there were none. Really, none to speak of. Yeah, a few, a few straggling Argentines who were, I guess, in denial. Um, actually, a, a Panamanian group in my hotel, um, and I saw one sort of like forlorn dude with an england flag uh on the street and that was about it so maybe there maybe the invasion is tomorrow i don't know um but uh yeah that's coming up and and obviously kind of still uh the city's still kind of emptying out after um the, the argentina croatia uh insanity so that is uh that is what's going on here in nizhny well a game today, Nigeria 2, Iceland 0, has a big impact on those Argentines in Group D because, as a result, Argentina still has a path to get out of this group, and every team in Group D is still alive heading into the final game. Croatia has already advanced. Um, Nigeria looked really good today, um, and Ahmed Musa gets both goals. I was disappointed with Iceland and their performance today. I thought... Um, they just didn't bring much to the table in terms of an attack. Gilfie Sigurdsson missed a penalty late that could have made it an exciting final 10 minutes. And I thought their back line was exposed by the speed and skill, especially of Musa, who didn't even start the first game for Nigeria. It makes me wonder why that wasn't the case against Croatia. Yeah, that 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 touch on that goal and that finish was just spectacular. And yeah, there was just a... It, it was hard to watch that game and not sort of compare um, Nigeria's kind of, I don't know what the word is, just just um, vigor uh, mm -hmm. that they had, uh, for lack of a better word, um, with the comatose Argentines um, <laughs> and just how plotting and predictable they were. I mean, you know, Nigeria was, you know, Ni Nigeria, you know, they, they, they try things. Um, they, they have some enterprise. Um, they have some spirit. They have some skill, and 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 they're willing to they're willing to fail in order to succeed. And 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 um, and they did. And that that counter that led to Musa's uh, um, winning goal was just spectacular. And um, you know they deserve to win. I agree. Just the technical skill required for the first touch that Musa had to then stop that ball with sort of a jab of his foot, and then have the the patience to wait to for recover. It. Yeah, yeah to hit the ground before he shot it, slammed it into the net, might be, for me, technically the most impressive goal of this tournament. I don't disagree. Um, and um, interesting that he is a guy who, while with, um, uh, while on the books at Leicester City, uh, played at Seska Moscow for, for, for a few years and, and then went back uh, back on home. Um, wow. <laughs> I'm outdoors, as you can tell, in our you want previous a motorcycle? spot. Yeah, That's seriously. That's so cool. 
Um, anyway, so yeah, some Russian comfort for 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 uh, for Musa um, and uh, and a big win, another win um, also at last for an African team. So now two potentially two African teams. I'm um, Senegal and Nigeria um, now with a uh, you know now on the threshold of moving on if uh, if another result goes their way. I do think it's going to be a crazy set of simultaneous games in Group D just because you've got Nigeria, Argentina. And right now, I, I think Nigeria should be favored heading into that game just from the way they played today and how poor the Argentines have been. Uh, and then also Iceland, Croatia. And anything could happen in these games, you know? And, and I'm curious to see if Croatia, uh, if their coach, Latko Dalic, rests any of his starters, uh, which might give Iceland uh, a chance to find a way uh, against Croatia, which hasn't clinched first place in the group, but uh, with that goal difference, is very likely to win the group. Um, yeah, it kind of bums, kind of bums me out that you, you, it's hard to watch. Uh, actually, those those games are uh, uh, next Tuesday, and that is the same day as Denmark France at the Luzhniki. So I will be covering that. Um, and trying to figure, and I guess while I'm writing that story, trying to watch, I'll be writing the Denmark-France story, and then trying to watch the the other two Group D games simultaneously, and I will have a stroke. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, as horrible as Argentina has been, that they actually have a chance to get through. They uh, must be big fans of Nigeria now after today's result against Iceland. Meanwhile, in Group E, Brazil gets two stoppage time goals one from Coutinho, one from Neymar to beat Costa Rica 2-0. Costa Rica is out on zero points. Uh, Neymar is crying on the field after a group stage game against Costa Rica, which is a little odd, right? Today was, yeah, that, today in that group, that was the uh, day of delayed gratification. <laughs> um, I, you know, Neymar is, is a, he's a one-man circus. It's just antics and, and you know, this if the spotlight is not on him he will find a way to get it on him and it could be because he does something spectacular or it, it could be because he does something absurd like the dive um, and thankfully that was that was a terrible dive i mean it was like he fell backwards like a like a tree i mean it was just awful um and the ref still fell for it but credit to the the referee i think a dutch guy uh for reversing that on var var by the way golden boot Golden ball, <laughs> the tournament, to me. Golden ball, the VAR. It's it's worth like a charm. It's been great. Um, I, I'm stunned because I thought that it would be a right, complete we were disaster. Right, we waiting for a fiasco. Yes. Yeah. Um, right. So and so and and um and then you see Coutinho sort of taking the reins of Brazil. Right. He's been the real sort of dynamic, um, effective player for Brazil. And 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 you know so is is Neymar crying. God knows why he's crying. Why is he crying? Is he crying because maybe it's maybe it's real sentiment, you know, remembering the injury of four years ago, remember the injury that could have delayed his participation here. Um, or maybe he's just like, uh, you know, so desperate to get his goal because it's all about him that, that he was overwhelmed. Like, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's always got to be about him. And um, <laughs> that's why I didn't pick Brazil to win the tournament. That's why I've got him, I, I've got him going out early just because uh, – the, the chemist, the, the, the way that team sort of revolves around and defers to him just seems weird to me. Um, and I don't, I don't trust it. 
I'm actually for now going to suspend my cynicism a bit about Neymar after the game here and say that I think that was genuine and reflective of the pressure that he feels that he's under. Yeah, maybe you're right. I hope you're right. Maybe you're right. Um, I may be wrong, but I also see guys like Chicharito crying after they beat Germany. And one point I would make, and I did in my video tonight, is that a lot of us think that Champions League has really superseded the World Cup as the real measure, the best measure of of soccer skill and soccer achievement in world soccer. And uh, that may be true, but you don't see players crying after a Champions League group stage game. And I think there's something emotional something to do with the pressure something to do with a very big feeling that comes with a world cup and only once every four years that is why i still love this tournament or one of the reasons why i still love this tournament and i like that yeah it's not the best soccer um but it it is it is the most engaging and gripping i i have a, a quick story i have a memory of when i started my started in journalism and I was covering high school and college sports um, for the Washington Post and I did a ton of high school soccer of course and I enjoyed doing it and I remember talking to two um, really good players uh, who went to a a local power called Whitman High School in in Bethesda, Maryland and we were having this conversation. I was you know in my early to mid-twenties and they were you know 17, 18 year old kids. I wasn't that much older than they were and we were sort of talking about the club versus high school debate um, that in a way is, is the club country kind of thing in microcosm, right? I mean, kids go to club soccer to get the coaching and the exposure and the, the high level play and the access to college coaches and, you know, regional and national coaches, but they loved playing high school soccer. We had this whole conversation about how even though the fields are shitty and, you know, some of the teams you play aren't very good and the, and the, and the, the depth of talent on a lot of teams isn't very good. You're playing for your neighborhood. You're playing with your friends. You know, you, you, you make your scores, make the newspaper. People come out to watch the games. There's an entirely different feel and, and emotion and demand and responsibility and opportunity that comes with playing high school soccer that doesn't happen when you're playing club soccer, maybe at a very high level, but in a completely sort of different environment. And I always think about that conversation with these two really kind of bright, you know, kids and think about what, you know, every time a World Cup rolls around, think about what it means to people that yes even if even if guys like Messi aren't surrounded by you know the talent they're used to at Barcelona they still desperately desperately want to win for all those reasons so i agree with you 100% the other game Switzerland 2 Serbia 1 great comeback here by Switzerland with second half goals by Shakiri and Shaka and maybe one of the better games of the tournament so far just a lot of back and forth, wide open game late, and guys performing, and really enjoyed this game. And you had a real political element as well, it appears, with the goal celebrations from Shakiri, from Shaka of the Wings, which, you want to help me out on this one? I can explain a little bit. Their reference to their Albanian heritage, right. and I, I, I know uh, Granit Xhaka's father uh, read, read about this. Uh, he was a political prisoner in Serbia um, for I, I, maybe uh, an Albanian from Kosovo who had been protesting Yugoslav rule or Serbian rule or something like that, and spent several years as a political prisoner in right. Serbia. And so they have—I don't know what Shakiri's 
I, you know, maybe it's just family, ethnic heritage. I don't, I don't know if he has a, the same sort of story. Um, but yeah, definitely very charged stuff. And, and, you know, you think about all the, think about all the hype when we drew England in the first game of 2010, right. And just all the, the articles and interviews and examine, you know, the emotion that came with playing sort of quote unquote, the mother country. I, I mean, that's a million times, um, you know, what, uh, what it must be for those guys, um, uh, to play against a country where their relationship is far different. And actually, um, Cissé from Senegal, the manager, uh, talked a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, was asked after they beat Poland about 2002 and talked about what it meant to play France and to beat France, you know, to beat the, the, the country that colonized you and, and all the good and bad um, and that, that came from that and those sorts of relationships. So you get that at a World Cup too, right? And it's, uh, it's fascinating. And I, and I was completely oblivious to the Albanian-Serbian subplot um, until today, like it just never occurred to me that oh yeah, you know Switzerland's best players have that have that background. So it's um, it's uh, it's intense stuff. Balkans, man, Balkans. Um, so now we got a situation in Group E where Brazil is on four points, Switzerland is on four points. Sorry about the noise. Serbia is on three points, Costa Rica on no points, and you have to think that Switzerland is actually in a pretty good spot here because they get Costa Rica in the final game, even though you never know. Yeah, I picked them, I think, to finish second in that group. Um, so, um, so yeah, so t- uh, tomorrow I'll, uh, I guess, uh, Mexico plays tomorrow. I will um, maybe go to the England press conference. You are you, You're aware of this, like, whole, like, England just couldn't, avoid controversy you're you, you've been following this right this nonsense with the leak of the roster the lineup right yeah yeah the lineup i read about this today like they just they couldn't even go two games they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't help themselves they're amazing like their their capacity for 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 drama is just remarkable um so yeah i'm one i'm hoping this will maybe come up tomorrow um, you know, because there was all this talk about about this is a, a new and open England and a laid back England, and I guess they're you know they don't have, you know, there weren't they, they don't have the the kind same kinds of big name stars uh, that they did in the past, right? There are no Beckhams and Rooneys and, and Gerards and and, and 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 people of that kind of caliber and star power sort of taking the headlines. I don't know what any of the wags look like this time around. They may not even be here, you know. Uh, I ran into a, an English reporter at the Congress, actually, who was talking about the fact that Southgate's sort of been really open with the media, and it's just been really kind of laid back, and it's been really nice, and now it all just went to hell, you know, and it's just amazing. So we'll see what uh, kind of fireworks there are tomorrow, if Well, any. the story, as I understand it, is that someone in the Anglin media group took a picture of a piece of paper held by a coach that had the lineup on it. Yep, and And and, tweeted it. Yeah, but this isn't very complicated for me. If you're dumb enough as a coach to carry that around and flash it to the world, of course the media, that's fair game. Of course the media's gonna put that out there and that's, they're doing their job. It was a, yeah, it was a, it was an open practice. It was designated as an open practice. The media was allowed in, you know, so it wasn't like anyone was like hanging off a tree branch with a telephoto lens. Um, at the same time, I, I see, I do see both arguments. I mean, there, there are always things that you and I hear and even things that you and I know 
that we don't necessarily report or put out there for for a variety of reasons, right? Um, I I think I would have had I I've been in situations before as a reporter where a, a single piece of information maybe isn't as important as the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Or the potential to to use that piece of information either as leverage to get additional information down the road or to 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 further a relationship that might pay off for more down the road. So I see, I definitely see both angles. I mean, on one hand, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like anybody was going through the dumpsters, right? I remember there was a story back in D.C. about that one time, uh, people looking at fax machines and whatnot. So it wasn't ill-gotten, like you said. It was it was an open practice and a, and a coach parading this around with, with media. But at the same time, you know, I wonder if I was in that position, if I would have thought, you know, yes, it's fair game. Yes, I'm entitled <laughs> to put this out. But is it is it in the long term interest of my relationship with these people to do so? Um, so I would have had that conversation myself if I'd been in, in their shoes. Yeah, I mean, I think a few months ago, or maybe at the start of the Trump administration, one of his people had uh, walked into a big meeting with lots of media around with some really important information just on a piece of paper, and that someone took a picture of it. It was fair game. I mean, it's yep. just not any doubt in, in anyone's mind yeah, no, there's that, certainly there's nothing it's a million mile it, there's nothing unethical about it whatsoever like yeah. i said i i just i i i overthink everything and so i would weigh those things um but the people the the the, the argument that the the journalists should be i guess i guess southgate or maybe one of the players or both said that they shouldn't have printed because their job is to like help and support the england team and Wrong. that's obvious that's obviously not the case Wrong. uh Although, you know, I, I was thinking, I told I told the story last night about uh, getting, uh, not harassed, that's too strong a word, but getting sort of bothered about taking a photo from my seat at, uh, at the Argentina-Croatia game. What was okay with the people running the media tribute seating were, was the guy two or three seats to my left smashing the table when something <laughs> went against Argentina and screaming. Like, that was cool. This dude, like, standing up and banging the table so hard that, like, seismographs in Mexico City recorded it. Um, and But, like, me snapping away on that camera. So we've talked about this a million times, different rules for, for press in different places. I get both sides of the England story. Um, I'm glad it wasn't me that had to make the decision on whether to do it. Um, but I am going to... I am going to ambulance chase. I am going to maybe go to their press conference tomorrow and see what the mood is and whether this uh, this feel-good England vibe uh, has unraveled after all of uh, a week of the World Cup in a single game. So, uh, Before we wrap up, I just um, thought I would briefly mention that uh, for listeners who don't follow the, the Fox coverage, I've been on uh, World Cup tonight uh, several nights in a row. Uh, which has been really interesting for me and, and really fun, actually, too. And if you get a chance to watch it, it's, a, it's on twice each evening, once on FS1, usually at 10 p.m. Eastern. Tonight it's 10.30 p.m. Eastern and usually at midnight Eastern on Fox. And Fernando Fiore hosts, and last night was in particular kind of a surreal moment for me to be on this show with Hernan Crespo who played in three World Cups for Argentina talking about Argentina's loss to Croatia and you just I mean I 
may you know we may complain a little bit from time to time about the journalistic experience here, but I'm having a blast, and uh, it's just surreal is the best word for me to to describe it tonight. Where I'm about to go on with uh, Gus Hiddink, you know, oh, wow. on this show, uh, along with Moises Munoz, Fernando Fiore, and um, it's just a lot of fun, and, and makes me very thankful about. Uh, the experience that this game, this sport provides. So, I feel bad that I, I. Someone asked me about the coverage the other day, and I said something like, "I haven't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen a, a, a." And I'm, and this is, I'm very lucky that I can say this. I have not seen a World Cup game broadcast at home in 12 years. Right. Um, and I will never, and I will not see one this time around, and I will not see World Cup tonight. I did go to the. Uh, oh man, I, I, I did, when the night when I was on the set with you. When before we did the pod, um, it may have been your first night on the panel. I asked the woman, the producer, I, I don't remember what her name was, if I could. I took a picture and I was going to tweet it, and then I said, "I better ask first. Mm. And I asked. She said, "Yeah, don't do, don't don't tweet it because it's you know we're taping and all that kind of stuff." And I said, "Okay, that's cool." Um, but I had a really good joke <laughs> I was going to make, and I'm sorry that I will never see the light of day. But no, it's really cool, and it's been neat to kind of the set the couple times I have and see like that whole side of things right I mean it's a it's an entirely different side of covering a World Cup that those of us who simply are running around with laptops and tape recorders and you know trying to you know trying to find synonyms for things um, you know don't don't experience I mean it's 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 totally foreign for me so it was interesting to see dude the set looks like like I don't think I don't like this like what you imagine the bridge of like a Star Destroyer looking like is not as complex <laughs> as as the trailer where you guys shoot that. I don't understand what all those knobs are for. Um, but there was a table with peanut butter and jelly on it. That was my favorite part. But uh, <laughs> no, you're kicking ass, man. It's awesome. So let's wrap it up for tonight. Let's wrap it up. But uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Later. Audiobooks are a great sidekick for summer activities like hiking, sunbathing on the beach, running, road tripping, enjoying downtime outdoors, and more. Listening is a better way to binge content you love while doing things you love. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, which lets you fill your summer with more stories like, say, Masters of Modern Soccer, How the World's Best Play the 21st Century Game. That's my new book. It is out. It is about the craft of soccer position by position. It's available on Audible. Audible helps you listen to more books by letting you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. Whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books, hands and eyes free, while doing almost anything. Audible members get a credit every month, good for any audiobook in our store, regardless of price, and unused credits roll over to the next month. Didn't like your audiobook? You can exchange it, no questions asked. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. Start a 30-day trial, and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash football, F-U-T-B-O-L, or text football to 500-500. Once again, you can start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash football, F-U-T-B-O-L, or text football to 500-500. You can do it with audiobooks. Big thanks to Brian Strauss. Next up is my interview with Vishali Bardwaj. 
Our interview guest today is Vaishali Bardwaj, a friend of mine who is a sports journalist for the London Evening Standard here in Russia covering World Cup 2018. Thanks for joining me. Uh, lots to talk about here with this World Cup. I kind of want to focus at first on England with you. This is uh, the team of the country where you're from. Um, opening game win in stoppage time, uh, 2-1 against Tunisia. Uh, what was sort of your top line takeaway from this game? That Harry Kane, he's our leader, he's our captain, and he continues to show just how good he is and, and he can get us out of a tight spot when we need him. Um, I think what I what I found from the game was it it's kind of a familiar feeling of we had several chances at the beginning we were dominating the game and apart from the early goal obviously we didn't convert our chances and then there was you know sort of sense of frustration time and time again our forwards weren't converting the chances um but what I took away from it I took a, a big positive away from the game in that we fought until the very end and we got the all-important winner uh, in added time, obviously. Um, and I think that that shows you a lot about the team spirit, a lot about the fact that this team does believe that we can win games and, and they're willing to fight until the very end to try and get that. Was there a feeling, because I, I watched that game with uh, one of my Fox Sports bosses who's English, and he was getting progressively more anxious and upset as the game went on, basically saying, same old England as it went later and later at 1-1. Is that kind of the feeling that you think a lot of fans had at that point? Absolutely, because I was watching it in an English pub here in central Moscow with a lot of England fans. And they were getting, as you mentioned, progressively angrier and angrier as that game went on. And I was getting quite frustrated as well. Um, I think there's always been a lot of expectation on England. And the feeling is that we always fail at some point. And there's always that feeling of, oh, here we go again. But I think when that winner went in, and out of time, I think it showed a lot of England fans that perhaps this, you know, relatively inexperienced side have got something different about them. And, and we're hoping we see that in this tournament. I mean, that's something that on the Fox Sports broadcast in the US, Alexi Lalas has been using the phrase New England. Like, is that something that's resonating with folks in England? Absolutely. I think Gareth Southgate has completely changed the, the aura and the atmosphere around how England are seen by the fans in England, um, how things are even done, even with the media. I mean, you know, he had this open media day in the weeks leading up to before they flew out to Russia. That's never really been done before. You know, everyone got to speak to every player. Um, there's a really kind of open atmosphere and environment. I think the journalists out in um, Rapino have been having a darts tournament with the <laughs> players. I mean, to have that kind of level of access and, and for it to be so open, I think it's He's created a very different atmosphere around this England camp. I think the players have been very honest as well. Uh, we saw Danny Rowe speaking about um, sort of his his dealings with depression mm-hmm. um, while he was that. out injured, and and for him to come out and be that open, for him to be backed by the England media team as well, it shows you that there's a very different. Um, it's very different this time around, and I think um, the only thing fans want to see, they just want to see what um, this England side can do at this tournament. We know that they're relatively inexperienced, but they are some of the best players in the Premier League who are playing in this side. It's just about whether or not they can now show this for England as they, you know, they show for their Premier League sides um, in the season. I mean, one question I had was about Deli Alley, um, a player who we have seen be very capable of doing exceptional things on the field, but who at times doesn't bring it. Um, where is he right now in your opinion? Um, so he, he got a lot of criticism last season for some of his performances. You know, people were saying, oh, he's not performing as well as he had done the season before. Um, but then he came good, you know. I think it's just a case of 
he has some games where he's more quiet than in previous games but we all know the quality he has and he can make a difference and he plays with a lot of these players for Tottenham so sure. he knows them really well I think it's just about kind of lowering the expectations on these players as well um, I think Deli Ali, he's a great player for us um, and I think we shouldn't heap too much pressure on him um, you know we just need to see how these players each of them as well not just him how they do in this tournament England ended up in one of the few sort of top heavy groups in this tournament, uh, Belgium, the other uh, sort of soccer country, you know, established soccer country uh, in the group, um, along with Tunisia and Panama, and Belgium and England don't meet until the third game. So is there a chance here for England to sort of grow into the tournament just based on the way the schedule worked? Absolutely. I think having that Belgium game right at the ending was, was quite perfect in a lot of ways because I know the Tunisia game wasn't the easiest of games to, to kind of go th- come through, but they did it. And now they've got a game against Panama and you'd think that they should win that game. I would think. And then you just feel like hopefully the players will have settled into their routine and, and, and to kind of the expectations around them, playing in such big stadiums, new stadiums. Um, and then they come up against a Belgium side who I have to say will be favourites in that game. I mean, this Belgium side is one of the favourites to win the World Cup. You know, they've kind of come of age this whole team, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Um, so then it's about kind of building up the confidence for, Eng- for the English players and then trying to really test themselves against a, a Belgium side who have been great so far. You know, Belgium coached by Roberto Martinez, who people in England know quite well from his long tenure there as a player and a manager. Um, he did end up being fired, sacked from Everton. Um, how is that? How do you think that's going to be covered, sort of, in the lead up to the England Belgium game from your media? Well, a lot of people like Roberto Martinez. I have to say, great guy, by the way, <laughs> great guy. And and despite the fact that he got sacked from Everton, there was a little bit of surprise when he got the Belgium job. I have to say, um, but he, I'm told he's a great talker and he talked his way into that job. And you know, he's done a, a pretty good job there, hasn't he? Mm. And people do like Roberto Martinez in England. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of negative coverage okay. in terms of him uh, because people like him and, and they like what they're, what they're seeing with this Belgium side. So I think it'll be all positive. Mm-hmm. Probably. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I got to know Roberto quite well. Uh, he's a chapter in my book. Um, he's done a lot of US media over the years uh, covering World Cups and European Championships and just really talks the game well. I think that there's a question mark about him as a manager from his Everton days, it's probably about defensively uh, that Everton team uh, struggled his last season. They scored a ton of goals, uh, and now he's coaching Lukaku again. Uh, so I am really fascinated by the what Belgium could achieve on paper in this tournament, but will Roberto Martinez finally be able to unlock all of the talent that's there on paper as a team? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think at the European Championships everyone expected Belgium to, to reach the, you know, the latter, latter stages. And, and they, they essentially failed. And, and we felt like this was a team that had the talent and was it being used to the best, you know, to the best effect. But I think now Roberto Martinez is beginning to unlock some of the, the talent and, and in some of the players. Um, and a lot of the players have kind of come of age as well. Um, because so many players in the top Premier League clubs there in this side. Um, what would be interesting to see is how Roberto Martinez kind of utilises his knowledge of English football mm-hmm. and all the players that he's already had his team, uh, well, Everton, former side, uh, play against and how he used that to his advantage when Belgium take on England. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a really interesting game. You're obviously covering this entire tournament. You uh, are here in Moscow. 
uh, doing work every day. What has been the most interesting aspect of your experience here so far? I suppose it's meeting fans from all over the world. And, you know, it's incredible. You just, I've met Mexican fans, I've met Panama fans, Colombian fans, so many people. And I think what surprised me the most is a sense of unity between all the fans, even before the games. I mean, you know, these are huge games. Uh, before the Mexico-Germany game, I saw Mexican and Germany fans hugging each other, taking pictures with each other. Um, I've seen Russian fans, um, you know, coming together with other fans and, you know, really welcoming them. I think that's been the most interesting for me, the sense of unity. And everyone just feels like this is a, a unique opportunity to meet people from all around the world. And they want to meet people. They want to take pictures with them, dance with them, you know, make videos with them. And I think that's what surprised me, but in a very positive way. And I've really enjoyed it. We have heard a lot coming into this tournament about Russian hooligans and kind of the usual stuff that we hear before a World Cup about various ways things could go horribly wrong. And obviously, there's a lot of soccer still left to be played here. So I guess something could happen. But so far, so good. So far, so good. It's been a very positive atmosphere, I have to say, Moscow. Um, the Russian fans have been very welcoming to people from other nations. Uh, the Russian people have been very welcoming. You know, people are trying to speak English, for example. <laughs> when, when they see me lost on the metro, <laughs> they're pointing me in the right direction. Um, so, so far, so good. And I think I, I do hope that genuinely continues um, throughout the tournament. So whenever I have a journalist on, uh, I, uh, I know we have a lot of aspiring journalists who listen to uh, the podcast here. So I ask people about their story. What's your story about how you got into doing what you do? Well, it's a very interesting one. I was destined to be a forensic scientist, actually, cool. believe it or not. Did all my training in it. And then um, I just decided to make a complete career change. And uh. the only other passion I have, apart from science, is football. Mm -hmm. um, but without having any real friends or family working in, in the media or in football, it, it took me a good few years. I, I did a lot of internships, a lot of work experience, worked my way up. Um, and then I, I finally got the chances by some of the sort of big companies in England to kind of show what I could do. And, and all my training has been in online journalism. Okay. So I started off, you know, writing for um, newspapers and for websites. And then I've kind of slowly moved into TV. So I'm doing a lot more sort of TV work. And I suppose my story is one of someone who has gone from one career to another, but it hasn't been easy. I mean, it's taken about 10 years. I said best part of 10 years to do that. Wow. But I think the, the message I'd send out to any aspiring journalist is, it isn't easy. A lot of the times it isn't paid, and certainly at the beginning, I mean, you're having to do a lot of work for free. Um, I had a full-time job actually for for two, the first two years while I was doing my journalism sort of internships. Oh, wow. So I was doing all those internships in the evenings on my days off on the weekend. So it was often seven days. So it's not easy. It does take a lot of work, hard work, and you will get rejected a lot. You know, a lot of your story ideas will get rejected, and it's about pushing on and, and believing in yourself. And I think also um, improving yourself, constantly improving yourself. I mean, you know, looking at your work, critiquing it and thinking, where can I improve? And um, I think that's been my story and it's worked out so far, thankfully. And where can people find you on social media? Well, they can find me on, on all social media platforms, I have to say, I do enjoy it. Um, so Twitter, at Vey Bardwaj. Uh, I've got a Facebook page as well. So if you type my name in Vishali Bardwaj, you'll find it. And I've also got an Instagram account, at um, Vey Bardwaj as well. Bye, Charlie. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football World Cup Daily Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss and Bishali Bardwaj, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. 
Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And we'll see you tomorrow. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.